Is it possible to build a business in your bedroom to start with basically nothing and to sell it a handful of years later for millions? Is that dream even possible? Is it something you can achieve? Is it something you should aspire to? Has anyone actually done it? Well, today's guest built a business from her bedroom, sold it for millions, and let's dive in and find out how she did it. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. So welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur podcast. And I've got with me today, Jackie Fast, and she's is, was the founder of Slingshot Sponsorship, which she started from her bedroom with just £2,000, which is about $3,000. And she grew it into a huge sales agency based in central London with offices worldwide and sold it after six years for several million pounds. Jackie, that's an incredible, incredible journey in just six years. Thank you. I mean, yeah, it was completely wild uh, for sure. And I never would have thought when I was starting out that it would have ended the way it did. And I'm, you know, I'm super grateful to, I mean, have that experience, but also be able to talk to people like you about it. (laughs) Yes. I'm very grateful you've come on the podcast and you've written an Amazon number one bestseller in marketing and sales. And you've got a new book called The Rule Breaker, Rebellious Leadership for the Future of Work. And well, the title of the podcast is Rebel Entrepreneurship. And being a rebel, doing things slightly different is what we're all about here. So I think I'd love to start with, was Slingshot your first business? Or did you try other things? Or how did that happen? No, no, no. I mean, it was my first business. It was, well, I mean, I talk about it all the time. It was a kind of forced upon me. I certainly did not feel like I could have been a business owner. I was 25 years old at the time. I basically got into a right tizzy with my uh, boss and quit my job without a plan. (laughs) Yeah, like it was it was really bad. It was not very clever. And I'm Canadian and I was in London on a visa, which had a requirement of me making a certain amount of money. And I went and I applied for all of the sponsorship agencies in London that I knew and nobody would even interview me or even have a coffee with me. And so I was in a situation where my skill set, my only UK experience was sponsorship. All of the potential sponsorship employers wouldn't speak to me. And I was like, who basically? So I was like, I mean, I didn't have a choice. I set up my business because I nobody hired me. I mean, honestly, jokes on them because one of them went under two years after. The second one, we almost bought and then decided not to. And then they went under. And the third one tried to buy us in year four. So, I mean, (laughs) it was very good good revenge. But, you know, I mean, I set up my business because I didn't have an option. I also didn't have a plan. So my, I still have the business plan today, but my goal was to make $85,000. I just thought if I made $85,000, I could keep my visa and then life would be fine. So that's pretty good. Yeah. So to look back on it six years later with everything, you know, yes, of course the money's amazing. We exited, I like made a ton of money, but also we were working with the most insane clients. So Rolling Stones, Red Bull, Richard Branson, and all of these huge, huge players that some other agencies wouldn't have been able to get. So, I mean, the entire thing was an enormous success, actually. So I have a million questions and comments based on what you've just said. 
it's interesting you said that you just quit your job. I got fired and that was the catalyst for me to go out there and I couldn't find a job I actually wanted. So I built my own. Yeah. And I think it's quite often those tough things happen and you don't realize at the time, but some of those toughest things that happen to you actually lead to your biggest opportunities. Well, yes, but I also feel, especially coming out the other end of it, I also wish that wasn't the case. I wish I had felt like I was confident enough to set up a business because what if somebody had hired me? Would I have been here today? Would I have done all of these things, right? Like it was forced, but You'd actually, still be there. you know, and I, I don't think I would have had the confidence or any of the right information to feel like I could have set up a business. Now having done it, I'm like, anybody can do it. Trust me, if I can do it, everybody can do it. <laughs> and I wish there was more of that out there because I think it feels so scary, you know, and it shouldn't, it really shouldn't. This is the most opportune time to set up a business. Like the internet has made the world smaller. We have access to so much information. We have stuff like your podcast that is literally helping people on their journey. So you shouldn't be so scared, I don't think. So run me through this. You've quit your job. You're in your bedroom thinking, what do I do next? You had the skills from your previous work and that's what you relied on. But still, how do you turn that into clients and work? And like, yeah, that's a big step. So I had my, in my first business, I was in my first job, sorry, the one that I left, I was helping to raise sponsorship dollars for the organization. So the skills were already inbuilt. I already knew kind of how to do that. But then I was basically sitting there with a the laptop. I had built a website, fortunately, um, and I had no idea how to get clients. So I emailed everybody who I'd ever really worked for saying, hey, I've set up this consultancy called Slingshot Sponsorship. If you ever need sponsors, let me know. And then I was really bored because I didn't have any work to do. And so I started like blogging and commenting on stuff. And one of my comments was picked up through a publication and then they invited me to speak at an event. And then I did that. And then a client kind of contacted me after my speak, like talk. And then that became my first client. I worked really hard to get them. They took nine months. Um, and then we did such an amazing job with that client. A whole bunch of people heard about it. And then it just snowballed. I mean, it took nine months to get our first client. Um, and then I probably ended up bringing in like 1,030 times or percent more. It was this astronomical number. And everybody in the industry kind of heard that I was doing this thing. And then literally, we just ended up getting loads and loads of clients. And then I had no employees. And then I ended up having to hire people. But at that point, we didn't even have an office. So I had to then try to like scramble to get an office so I could hire an intern. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nuts. I mean, you know, every startup's the same, I think. It doesn't matter really what you do. Well, I think there's some interesting bits there. Like you made it sound very quick, but nine months to get the first client, that can be like, when you're in it. Well, that's forever. Looking back. Yeah, exactly. Looking back now, you go, well, it was nine months. And then no, 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 you're no. trapped in it. Nine, you have to understand that was nine months of me not sure if I would get any money in. That's nine months of like really like that spent all of my savings. Like imagine you have nothing to do. And every day you're dedicated to driving something forward, but you have no work to do. That's nine months of me sitting on my in my in front of my laptop being like, what should I do today? What should I read about? What should I write about? Like that is a long nine months for sure. But I think that's what people get lost in. And quite a few people don't make it through that dip at the start or the painful bit because you have to make it up. Like literally there's a blank paying field and... You have to make the calls, do the emails, drive the stuff, and you make this up. And I think 
it's so easy to gloss over how difficult that first nine months are. So what did you learn? What kept you going? Um, my visa. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, I needed to get a visa or else I'd have to go back to Canada and I did not want that. So, so my visa was like definitely number one thing. And then I felt very strongly that what we were doing in my ethos within sponsorship was the right approach. So different to all of my other competitors who were really focused on big television ad spends for sports and stuff, I saw very early on that social media had a big influence in purchase behavior. So that's kind of the direction that I took Slingshot. Um, And it's why our business ended up going as good as it did. So you saw social media as a trend, but I'd just like to back up because you gave the story about how you got your first client and you obviously did a lot of activity. A comment was the thing that broke through, but run me through some of the things you tried to get that first client that didn't work. And like, what were you doing on a day-to-day basis? I don't think anything didn't work. I think actually, because I was so active across so many things, that's the reason that it worked. I mean, you say, what was I doing? Honestly, Alan, what wasn't I doing? I mean, I was doing everything. (laughs) So I was committed to writing like at least a blog a day. I mean, and that's a lot. Wow. I was reading everything about sponsorship that I could get my hands on, especially about new stuff. I was commenting about it. I was restructuring. I think I was constantly going through the communications on our website to make sure that it was clear. Again, with the proposals, I was doing case studies of my last job. I was going to events, networking as much as I could. I sent personal emails out to anybody that I thought that might need our services. I was cold calling. I was cold emailing. I was using LinkedIn to do cold approaches as well. In hindsight, again, that was the first business I ever had. Um, That was certainly the first startup I ever ran. And since then, I've been involved with a number of them. But I don't think now looking back, I was probably working as hard as I should have been doing. So I was doing all of these things really without very much structure or a strategic plan. I was just kind of like, this is how I was filling my time. I do think it's important to do all of the things I was doing, but I think if I was approaching it now, I would be a lot more strategic and really be focused on getting that one client. And, you know, the blog should have been tailored to specifically raising funds because that's the service I was selling. I was talking about everything, like gambling sponsorship, ethics sponsorship, sustainable sponsorship, like none of these (laughs) things I was even doing. So, I mean, I was busy in that sense, but I think I could have been more focused for sure. So let me see if this resonates with you. A lot of the entrepreneurs I speak to, and I've been having this discussion with several of the ones I'm coaching, they are very resistant to niche marketing. They don't want to niche down. They're afraid of missing out on business and they want a bigger section. So they will talk about every area of the thing they do rather than going, no, this is the one thing that I want to be known for. And they're very resistant. This is exactly what I did as a start. I ran training courses and people would say, who do you train? I'd be like, well, I can help anyone. And then I didn't get any business, funny enough. Took me a long time to work out, be specific. Did you have a little bit of that going on just like the rest of us? I mean, fortunately, I was specific in what I could do. So I brought people sponsors. So I couldn't work for people that didn't have events, for instance. So in that sense, I was pretty specific because my skill set is only like you you could legit train anybody. I couldn't get sponsors for anybody. It doesn't work like that, right? Yes. So in that sense, I was forced to be restrictive. But going back to what you were saying, I mean, 
it's a problem for everybody. I think, I think everybody's really, really like wide because they don't want to miss an opportunity, but it just means that you're really not clear about what it is you're doing. And that doesn't matter if you're selling a product or a service. I, I've worked with a lot of D to C brands and it's a big thing. Like, you know, well, we want to be super inclusive. We want to sell, you know, activewear for everybody. It's like, your like leggings are 300 pounds. Like that's not active wear for everyone, you know, <laughs> but it's like, it's okay. But like, let's just, let's just be realistic here. Exactly. So if you were to help someone target down to a niche market, how would you push, cajole, question, move? How would you help people to focus in? I think it's really important for people to really look at what makes them better than their competitor. Like that is it. Like, why am I going to buy something from you rather than anybody else out there? Because the great thing about the internet is that it's obviously provided lots of information and it's equalized a lot of things. But the truth of the matter is, is like whatever you're doing, somebody else probably can do it better. So why, why are they coming to you? And you have to be really clear for me. I was fortunately one of the few people who does do what I do. Very few people raise sponsorship dollars because it's very, very difficult. But the great thing is, is I'm actually really good at it. Whereas a lot of people that do it are not. But because of that, you know, over the years, I really learned that what I need to talk about is everything that I do. Like, this is what we've raised for this company. This is what all these people are saying. These people will get on the phone and tell you how great I am. Whereas a lot of our competitors really talk about, you know, all of the capabilities that they could do, but actually they don't have a lot of success stories and certainly not as many success stories as we did. And so that took us a little bit longer, like what makes us better aside from just being better. But the truth of the matter is they're saying that they're better too. So how do you prove it? Well, that's the thing is that we did this recently. We were looking for an accountant a few years ago and we went to speak to five and every single one said the same thing. We're better because we help you understand the numbers. They all said exactly the same thing. So no one stands out. Yeah. I mean, but it's everywhere. So big branding and marketing agencies do that. You know, we have all capabilities in-house, et cetera, et cetera. The truth of the matter is, is they're all offering the same service. And they know that. So, you know, you have to be really, really clear what makes you different. Why are people going to buy from you? And the truth of it is that some people won't. Like, it's okay. Don't freak out. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't need to sell your services to everybody in the world. You just need to sell them to like 10 or 100. So sell those really well to those people. I think I got really hooked up on that in the early days of people rejecting me and then I would feel bad and wouldn't want to go out again. And it took me a while to come over it. And actually what I've realized over the years is I am better off being more me because then people will reject me sooner and I will avoid painful clients, painful relationships that wouldn't have been good for both of us. Well, you're making it really in a negative sense. And actually, you're talking about one of the rules in my book, which is being authentic. So historically, people are like, fake it till you make it, like dress for the job you want, all of that kind of stuff. But by being you and who you are and communicating in the way that suits you, it doesn't mean like you're going to get rejected. Actually, what it means is people like you will be attracted to you. So what you're doing is you're creating an opportunity for people that will want to work with you to understand who you are and to align their values with you. It's a real positive thing being yourself because it just means that people like you will come to you or people that want to work with you will come to you and you don't have to work as hard. You know, you're, you don't have to sell, for instance, you know, you're just being you. Which I love. And the more I have become me over the years, the easier business yeah. has become. And the more I honor my values and I don't 
shift myself just to be, you know, the chameleon salesperson that is whatever, whatever you want, like doesn't matter. The more I was that, the worse it was. Yeah. Uh, the more I was just authentically me, the easier it got. Was so important now, like we're in a post-truth world where truth is really important. Authenticity is really important. Being genuine is really important. It's, it's stuff that every single human being values more so than maybe 10 years ago, maybe more so than 20 years ago. That is important. It resonates. So if you are you, whatever you looks like, just being genuine, being authentic means that people will automatically be drawn to wanting to work with you because, you know, they're not being sold to. Nobody wants to be sold to. And I'm a salesperson. <laughs> so uh, talking of sales and being a salesperson you have some incredible clients on your list like sir richard branson the rolling stones the mayor of london spotify ibm like some incredible businesses can you give us an example a nitty-gritty example of how did you end up working with one of these characters like where do you even start to get to someone like that Richard Branson is a really great example. So, I mean, I am as enamored with Richard as I'm sure other people, especially as a small business owner and what he's achieved and all of that stuff. The way I ended up working with him and I like do lots of stuff as well. Like it's not a little bit, I, you know, I was on Necker Island up to four weeks a year doing great. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. It's very cool, but it's a good story because it's a good lesson. I was called, uh, I don't know, I want to say maybe like two years, three years before I started working with Richard by a random guy, a guy called Tom Hayes, um, who was a big wig in Silicon Valley. I didn't know really what that meant. He was running a big event. He heard that I do sponsorship. So I got on the phone. They had loads of money. And it's like, you know, we did some stuff in Silicon Valley, but not really. And I wanted to get in there. So I was like, I spoke to him like loads. He was super, super nice. He was running a tech conference for the first time, didn't know how to get sponsors. And I kind of explained to him what we did. But at that point, our pricing was really high and he only needed like $175,000 to make it work. And I was like, you don't want to hire us because you'll just wipe out all the money. So just, you should do it yourself. So he did his event. I only spoke to him that one time. He did his event. It was successful. He ended up calling me when they were planning for the second one. And I was like, amazing. Like you, you did a great job, blah, 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 case studies, all that stuff. And then he was like, do you want to come work for us? And I was like, well, I mean, like, again, like this is, he said, well, what would you do different? So I kind of gave him my pointers. He was such a nice guy. We got on really well. Again, this is only the second time I spoke to this guy. I've never seen his face, never met him, nothing. And he ended up doing the event. He didn't hire us. Uh, it was a bit disappointing, but whatever. And he then moved to LA. I was like, oh, shame. So he changed jobs. He now works for Paramount Pictures. Like, oh, that's a shame. And never thought of it again. And then seven months later, eight months later, I got a call from a guy called Bill Ty. I didn't know at the time saying we're doing this sponsorship thing. Tom Hayes said you were the person to speak to. I was like, okay. So it turns out Bill Tai is literally one of the biggest venture capitalists in the world. He is the first investor of Twitter. He's the first investor of zoom. He, I mean, I know Eric from zoom because of Bill. He's like a player in Silicon Valley. I did not know any of this at the time. And he had launched kind of this nonprofit, amazing thing called the Extreme Tech Challenge on Necker Island. And we ended up pitching for it. We ended up getting it. Uh, I don't even think anybody else was pitching. And that's how we started working with Richard. And then from there, Richard does a lot of ocean conservation. And I ended up meeting the woman who heads his ocean conservation stuff on Necker Island. And it just kind of like snowballed, really. So um, it was literally a random cold call that I had like, three years before. And then once, once you're in and you, again, I'm really good at my job. So once you're in, you're in like, I now like, 
you know, could do anything really with them. So that's fascinating. And I think the key bit here I'd love to highlight was you said to him the first time, you don't want to hire us. Here's how to do it yourself. Yeah, it didn't make sense. It didn't. So at that time, we would have been so when I'm very, very started in my bedroom, my fees were free. I would work for you for free and get a commission from the sponsorship deals that I were doing. Um, I am only one person. And so the more and more clients we had, the less and less times I had. And so the way I started like chipping away at clients was I'd just start increasing our fees. So by the time Tom called, we were probably at a, you'd have to drop 50 grand just for me to think about it, like the strategy. Then you'd have to pay five grand then you'd have to pay commission. Then you have to pay all the expenses. Like you're looking at 200 grand probably for us to work with you. So if he only needed 175, it just didn't make financial sense. It would have been ridiculous. He would have been really pissed off with me to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that integrity. Instead of trying to cram him into something that doesn't work, it's being honest. It's being open and saying, look, this doesn't work. Here's some tips. Let me know how you get on. And you helped him. And I think that's how you build relationships over the long term is by helping people and doing the right thing by them. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is like, I'm really geeky about sponsorship. Like I like truly love sponsorship. I will talk to anybody about their sponsorship problems because I find I really enjoy it. So for me to talk to him, like I didn't look at like, Oh, I'll help him and it'll pay me back. I mean, he had a really cool event. It was in Silicon Valley. We were talking about the sponsors that he had. You know, my tips were really very basic tips. You could have found out if he called anybody. I mean, that's the reason I wrote my first book, Pinpoint, is because I don't think what I do is very difficult. I think the issue is, is that people kind of get all in their head about how to get sponsors. And that's the problem. So I legit didn't even see him as helping. I just think he had a sponsorship problem and I like solving sponsorship problems, really. (laughs) It was really that simple. But I mean, like, it's always been like that. Like, uh, I think, again, this goes back to one of the rules of my book, Rule Breaker. One of the fundamental things about being successful now specifically is really you need to figure out what it is you're passionate about. Because if you are passionate about it, stuff like this happens not serendipitously, but you're interested in it. So, you know, you care about it. So you talk to people. Like when Tom calls, you want to talk to people, not because you want to help them, because you're interested in, in what you're talking about. I love that. One of the things that always comes up for me, and I'd be fascinated to know your answer, is I say, do what you're passionate about. And people, there's quite a percentage of people who go, I just don't know what I'm passionate about. Nobody knows. I just don't know. No, but the reason why is because when you are a child, everybody asks you what you want to be. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? What are you going to be? What are you going to do after university? Nobody ever asks you, what do you care about? What do you care about most? Nobody ever asks you that question. And so when you go through life, never thinking about what you care about and only thinking about what you're going to be, you end up with a disconnect when you get to 20, 25, whatever, and being like, this doesn't really align. Like, I don't really like this, but you don't even know why you don't like it. But the truth is, is because you never really thought about the stuff that you do like. Like we all know. Yeah. We all like a drink. Yeah. We all like to go for restaurants. I mean, like, you know, the obvious things, but when you talk about like, how do you like to spend your time? Really? How do you like to spend your time? Most people don't know. Yeah. Like, what would you say to someone who doesn't know? What advice do you have for someone that is thinking, I don't really know. Like, I've just got into a job. I want to find out what I really want to do. What's your advice to them? Buy my book. (laughs) 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 I'll show you how. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, is you have to 
Yes. So like a hundred percent, you should buy my book because we go through that because I think it's a problem, but you don't need to buy my book to do that. You, you really have to start looking like, what are the things that you really care about? And then do your actions match those things? So, I mean, a lot of people will say, well, I care lots about family or I care lots about sustainability, but you know, they would much rather go to the pubs with their mates and take care of their kid, or they don't actually really recycle, but they want to be seen to be recycling. There are inherent actions that individuals do that really kind of bring to light the things that you want to do and prefer to do. And you have to really just, it's an audit. It's like a self audit. Look inwards, ask yourself some tough questions. Yeah. And you never know, like never be embarrassed. This is speaking to everyone. Never be embarrassed about what you're interested in, what you like doing. I suddenly got very excited by PowerPoint. I know that sounds weird, Jackie, but no, like, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, people get crazy about Excel. I really liked PowerPoint, like making pictures, making presentations, making people smile, educating people. I got so addicted to it. And then I turned it into a business and I taught people how to present, how to use PowerPoint. One of my favorite fames to claim is I ran a course for Microsoft teaching them how to use PowerPoint. And I, I don't care what people are passionate about. It doesn't really matter. It can be the geekiest, strangest thing. There is an opportunity there given the size of the world. And the size of the markets out there. And like conversely as well, if you really care about money and that's all you care about, there's nothing wrong with that either. Like if that's what you care about, then go be a banker. Like nobody's going to shame you, but like stop pretending you're going to save the world and you want to start a charity. Like it's cool. But you, a lot of people just, A, they don't know. I think most of them just don't really know what it is that they like. Um, and then B, a lot of people like think that what the, you know saying what you like is more often really than what you actually feel so i think that's fundamentally the most important thing so the book pinpoint is about sales marketing like sponsorship sponsorship sales it's really specific it's really about if you are an event or rights holder an online platform and you're looking for brands to give you money to sponsor whatever it is you're doing that's what that book is for that is the one thing so it's a very specific subject very specific stuff. Yeah. So when is sponsorship not a good idea? Never. <laughs> <laughs> so sponsorship only works if you've got something of value. So you have to have an audience. The bigger your audience and the more niche your audience, the more value it will be attractive for brands. So if you are a one man band and you like, you know, put out a blog once a week, but you have like, a couple hundred people reading it, that's not sponsorship. Nobody, I mean, you could get it sponsored by your mom, but I mean, no brand is going to actually go and get sponsored for it. And then you've got to weigh up like the amount of work to get a sponsor is probably not worth it. So yes, it probably could be sponsored, but I mean, would you bother? Probably not. So apart from that instance, no, I think sponsorship is one of the most valuable things if you get it right, because A, it gives you money for stuff you're already doing. So it's not like you do more work to get sponsorship. The work happens naturally. The sponsor is aligning to your work. So like, what do I pitch to these people I want sponsorship for? What are they interested in? Depends on the platform. So hypothetically, let's say we're going to get sponsors for your podcast. We'd be looking at your audience's startups, uh, small business owners, right? That's everybody. That's like your QuickBooks. That's your accountancy. That's your banks. That's all of those people are really, really interested in aligning to reach a new audience in a different way. Because quite frankly, nobody's walking down the high street and they can't hand out flyers like they used to. So this kind of replaces that. Interesting. So it's helping them to reach an audience is quite often the way sponsorship works. 
That is the way sponsorship works, yeah. I love it. So what inspired you to write the latest book about rule breaking? Truthfully, I was commissioned. Uh, So I had, yeah, I just got pregnant and I was like, whoa. And I (laughs) wasn't really sure how to kind of take that. And literally one of the publishing editors reached out to me and said, we really like your angle and your voice. Are you thinking about writing a book in the near future? And I was like, I've always wanted to write another book following Pinpoint. I found Pinpoint like really useful in a way, but there are things I wish I'd done differently. So I would always like, I would like to write a more kind of Malcolm Gladwell, Simon Sinek kind of book. So when they reached out and asked me if I was going to write a book, I literally just found I was pregnant like the week before. I was like, this is the best time. So I was (laughs) like, uh, I could write a book for sure. Um, And then they kind of just tasked me with, you know, come up with an idea. And so I did. And really my idea is much of what we're talking about now. I think a lot of people are really interested to hear from me about my journey and my story. And quite fundamentally, very much like Pinpoint, I don't think what I've done is anything extraordinary. Um, I think there's just not a lot of my stories out there in the bigger, wider picture. Because, you know, I think a lot of people, once they make it, they don't really, you know, like there's nothing in it for me to talk about on podcasts and stuff like I I enjoy doing it and it's great but I think once people kind of are really successful they don't usually like to look back and they always like to really show being very successful I'm like the opposite I very much feel like my journey is probably a reflection of everybody's potential journey and there's just not a lot of those stories out there so it was important for me to kind of write a book that I thought would help people set up businesses, become leaders, any of that stuff, because the world is so different now. And I think a lot of the stuff around management leadership tactics are really made and written by people in the set from the seventies who built their career when their internet wasn't there. And, you know, it's all about climbing the ladder, how you manage teams, how you make people like their job, all that stuff. That's not how business works anymore, really. And I've worked with some of the biggest leaders in the world. And I, you know, there's a common thread. Um, between me, you, and those people. And a lot of it is rule breaking and thinking outside the box and paving your own way. And that's what this book is about. It's fascinating how the standard rules of society were kind of set in the 70s and 80s, and we haven't really updated them. And we've been doing exactly the same thing for startup. Like the standard rules of startup are write a business plan, work out how much money you need to borrow, go and get a loan, yeah, spend all the money. <laughs> Yeah. Then maybe selling you, you know, it's just such a long process, but that's what everyone thinks you have to do. Yeah. I mean, it's just all of the communication around all of that, in my opinion, is A, not what I was told. And if I would have been told something different, yeah, I probably would have had more confidence in setting up my business. One of the case studies that I use in early on in my book is a fashion label, London fashion label called M92. Uh, but they are amazing because they kind of blew up the Copenhagen Fashion Week. But ironically, it's just two sisters and they don't even have a website. So you know how you talk about bricks and mortar, um, you know, the importance of bricks and mortar, blah, oh, like you need to have a shop or you can do retail. They don't even have a website. <laughs> I think that's really telling as well. Jackie, your website has a fantastic quote right at the top. Great things never come from comfort zones. How did you realize that? How did, what does it even mean? I mean, I think it's important to be challenged. I think that that quote specifically really relates to me um, and how I run business and all my success, uh, I guess, success lessons, really. But I think it's really important to push yourself beyond what you're comfortable 
Because if you don't, you're just kind of doing the same old thing. So, I mean, I'm sure you get this all of the time with people thinking about setting up a business, not really sure, not really sure, like cautious, cautious, safety, safety. And the thing is, is like sometimes you just need to take a leap and taking the leap is kind of the most important thing. So what my book Rule Breaker does doesn't necessarily give you the confidence to take the leap, but kind of prepares you for when you take the leap, how to move forward. But I think there's actually quite a lot of work that needs to be done in that pre-leap stage about like building confidence, educating people. Again, like stuff like I was just saying, like, I think it's important for people not to be scared of setting up a business because it is dead easy. I honestly do think it's like if literally, I literally had no idea what I was doing in my bedroom to selling my business for a million six, like no idea. If you read my business plan, it would be a joke. And I had no help. (laughs) Nobody was helping me. I didn't have any mentors. My family doesn't live in Europe. Like I had nothing. So, I mean, it's very, very possible. It's just, you need the right kind of support in a way, or at least the right education in a way. So have you always been confident, Jackie? Have you always had confidence to approach people, go out there? I think I always exude confidence for sure. (laughs) Listen, I think some of it, you know, you're British. I set up my business in Britain, in North America. I think you already kind of, it's built in you, the whole kind of confidence thing. So I do think that has played well in my favor in Europe, for sure. But I know, God, no, of course, I'm not as confident. But I also feel like I'm not going to get any further by not, you know what I mean? Like, if I don't have confidence in what I'm doing, or what I'm selling, then nobody else is going to. And so that's really important when setting up a business that I really believe in what I'm doing. And if I don't, I, I wouldn't do it because I couldn't sell it. You know, people love buying stuff from me because I, I am super excited about like life in general. Like I would be as excited about selling like pens or like beds. Like I love, I'm just very excitable. I'm a very enthusiastic person. And so when people buy stuff, whether it's pens or beds or sponsorship, like people are like, yeah, really? Let's do it. Like, let's go on this journey. Let's buy that bed. And so, so that's kind of like how, how I sell really. But I mean, I fundamentally do believe in it. Like I'm passionate about everything. Um, and that I think exudes confidence, but it's not the same for me. I don't think it's confidence. I'm just excited. I'm excitable. Well, I love that because on the course, one of the descriptions, my favorite descriptions of sales that I've ever had is sales is the transfer of enthusiasm from one person to another. Totally. I've never heard that. That's great, for sure. I know. I love that. And I I can feel your electricity, your enthusiasm, your energy. And that's what people say the same thing to me when I'm talking about business. They're like, wow, how do you get so excited? I'm like, I don't know. I just get excited. I just, I'm enthusiastic. And the more I get enthusiastic and excited about things, the more people gravitate towards me, want to be around me. But this goes back to the whole passion thing, right? Like if you are doing what you're passionate about, all of this just happens because you can't, like, do you know what I mean? So it all just flows. It makes it so much easier. So is it about finding what you're passionate about or is it about becoming a passionate person? I think it's finding what you're passionate about because I think you become a passionate person when you're doing stuff you're passionate about. But you can get passionate about beds, pens, I'm excited. I'm passionate about life. <laughs> <laughs> 
And like, let's be clear. Okay. I'm not going to get excited about like a boring bed, but I would be selling some kind of rock star bed. And then I'd be super excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. Tell me more about this rock star bed. I feel like we could mark it right now. Like I'm not going to be just selling like a basic bed that your grandma has. I'm going to be selling some kind of cool rock star bed. So I think there's a really important point for us all here. It's Find out what you're truly excited about, about your business. Fall in love with it. Make it something that you would die to buy, love to have. Make it something that rocks your world. And then if it's rocking your world, when you talk about it, it'll rock the other person's world, the energy, the enthusiasm. There's a hugely important point here. I think also, like, especially if you've been doing it for a really long time, you sometimes forget like what it is that you like like about it and what other people and honestly what I've always found really refreshing especially when anything I'm doing not just slingshot so like I sell wine as well and that's been ups and downs but actually when I ask people about it like what is it that you like or you know that reinvigorates stuff and it's really important for me with anything that I do is to get feedback like that because that you know reminds me constantly you know this is why I'm doing this like I do love doing this yeah it really interesting you say that because the thing that keeps me going and invigorated is when people write into the podcast and say, thank you for the energy. Thank you for the help. It's when you get the email five years after you've run a course for someone that says, oh, I've done it. Mm -hmm. And I go, wow, that's the stuff that keeps me going and gives me energy. And I feel like I'm actually making a difference in the world. And I think like that sounds grand, making a difference in the world. But if you break it down, It's just helping someone else to feel a little bit better, helping them move towards their goals, helping brighten their world. And I think any business, product, service, art, food, food business, I love food businesses. They brighten my world. Like they make my world better. Art businesses, graphic businesses, they make my world better. And I think like sometimes it sounds a very grandiose thing, making the world a better place, but we all do it in our own little way. Totally, completely agree with that. So- What's next for you from here? Where are you headed next? Because you've built a business, you've written books, you and you look really young. Like ah. you've got a lot of time left. What's next? I know. I hope to do a great many things. Um, so I've just launched a company called Sandbox Studios in LA. We are a venture fund slash agency incubator accelerator. Um, we basically invest and manage talent-driven product collaboration. So consumer products. So things like Beats by Dre, Kylie Cosmetics, all of those kind of celebrity attached products. So we kind of match make in the agency, similar to what I was doing before, but now just with celebrities and just with like cool things like sneakers and speakers and water and, you know, fun things. Um, We put them through the Sandbox Studios machine and then we invest into the company and roll out the products. So that's what we do now. So it's called Sandbox Studios based in LA. Wow. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a very cool project and sounds like you've chosen to do some fun things. Yes. I mean, it's all about the fun, the fun thing, but I mean, it's also, I like, since I sold my, I sold my business in 2016, left it in 2017. And I really thought I was going to go and do all of these great things, but it kind of has really reinforced that I really do love what I do. And I mean, I loved it then. And I've always, always said that, like, I'm passionate about sponsoring. I love it. And I just kind of thought maybe I would, do what I can do, but just in a different way. And actually I like, I like getting nitty gritty. I like being in startup mode. I like, 
I like being good at my job. That's another thing. You know, I take a lot of pride in doing that. I'm one of the few people who can do kind of what I can do. So I think it kind of was a bit stupid of me to try to do something different. So I'm kind of going back to my roots in a way, but it's much, much bigger in scope. It's, you know, and it's very specific. We only do celebrities, big celebrity products. We, and we're only doing like eight of them. We're only investing in eight of them. It's kind of bigger stakes because I'm taking $15 million of other people's money. So that, you know, increases the getting out of my comfort zone because I, I need that to thrive as well. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's very exciting. I love that. It sounds like a great venture. And to sort of wrap up, if you had someone in front of you that was just at the start of their entrepreneurial journey, what's the things you wish you'd known at the start that you would give them and say, here, here's the idea, here's the thought, here's the tool, just focus there and you'll make it, keep going. What would you tell them? Honestly, this is, you're probably not going to appreciate this very much, but I really, I really believe that you should stop listening to other people's advice. I think that like, I mean, mine included, but I think a lot of people get so scared of like their own gut and their own intuition and their own thing. And like, sometimes you just need to just do it. And so rather than like, you know, if you listen to a bunch of advice, like you were saying, like, go to the, go get a loan, go do this, go do that. Actually, just start. Just actually, this is the advice. Just start. Just do something every day. Just like move it forward. Whatever that looks like, I think is important. Just like stop thinking. Thinking is like, there's no time for thinking. You need to do and you need to learn from the doing and stop getting wrapped up in like getting all the information before you make a move. I think that's that's the biggest mistake. Stop thinking, start doing. Why are you still listening to my podcast? <laughs> Leave now, go, make it happen. Um, well, before you do, Jackie, where can people find out more about you if they want to learn about what you're doing and find your books? So a Rule Breaker Rebellious Leadership for the Future work is sold anywhere good books are sold. So literally just Google it. It'll be anywhere. Pinpoint, if you're interested in sponsorship, is only found on Amazon. But again, it's all over Amazon. My website is JackiePass.com. I never update it, so I wouldn't follow me on there. But you can follow me on Instagram, which is at JackieFast. And if you're interested more about what we're doing at Sandbox, it's SandboxStudios.Ventures. Awesome. Jackie, you have been a legend. Thank you for your energy, enthusiasm, passion and advice. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been fun. There's three things I would love you to take from this interview. The first is it took Jackie nine months, nine months to get her first client. And I want you to really understand nine months. Because I think when people say, oh, I did this diet and six months later, I was 10 pounds later, you're like six months. That doesn't seem very long. But actually, that's a huge amount of time to stay focused, to give energy, to keep hustling, working, throwing things at the wall. And she worked incredibly hard to get that first client. Sometimes it takes a huge amount of time to get to that first thing and to get off and running. If you're building your business as a side hustle, it's sometimes easier to sustain because you have income from your main job, which means you can keep going with the other things. The cost of that is you don't have as much time to invest in the sales and marketing, which is going to get you that client. The thing I wanted you to realize is sometimes this takes time. It takes hustle. It takes energy to be able to get out there and be seen 
as that person in the industry and to win the business. And Jackie went through nine months of hard work to get her first client. I've never said business is easy. I've said anyone can do it, but it does take time, energy, and effort. The second thing I wanted to pull out of the episode was Jackie had a goal. She had a why. She wanted to keep her visa. And if she wanted to stay in England, she needed to earn money to be able to do that. She did not want to go back to Canada. And that was the big why that drove her to build her own business, to keep hustling and doing it. And my business partner, Simon, is very fond of saying it's the size of your why that motivates you to keep going. So what is driving you? Why are you doing this? Are you building it for yourself? Are you building it because you have to? Are you building it for your kids? Are you making money to have a better life? Like, it doesn't really matter what it is. Are you doing it to change the world? Are you doing it to have fun? The why has to be huge for you. So don't judge other people's whys. Just uncover your own. Why are you running the business? And the third thing I wanted to pull out of this is the last message, which is stop thinking and start doing. This is so critical. Most of the people I have met overthink things and don't take action. They think about all the permutations. They think all about the stuff. And don't get me wrong, like it's important to think about what could go wrong, what could go right. But you've got to take action. You've got to take action. So please have a go. Run a mini experiment test a business idea, start selling, build a website, launch a blog, do something, get in the game, get off the sidelines and start taking action. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Entrepreneur Podcast. We do this to help you make progress. Go get them. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.